Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, joined by the mayor, Jeff Burton, who I just learned is such a fan of this podcast. He in- insisted that I redo the intro because it, it wasn't quite pitch perfect. So. It wasn't your normal greetings. It was some <laughs> random crap. Like, it's not... <laughs> you're a greetings guy. I appreciate you keeping me on brand, man. You're a smart man. You're a wise man. You're the man who just picked Christopher Bell to become the 14th winner of the NASCAR Cup Series season. I was a lucky man on that one. I I think you were a smart man. So got a lot to talk about coming out of New Hampshire. And I'm going to start there. Christopher Bell, not only did you pick him, Jeff, but you said something really interesting struck me. You said that you had talked to Bell recently, and he told you that he, Christopher Bell, feels like he's the fastest of the Joe Gibbs racing drivers recently. So can you... Expand on that. Uh, give us a little bit of context. That passing, you saw him, and he's like, "Hey, man, I'm I'm a lot better than people realize I am." Right well, now. I mean, I you know, one of the best parts of my job is I get to to talk to the drivers that I you know I admire so much, and I like to you know have conversations. And he and I were talking about how his year was going, and he was frustrated, but he was frustrated for the right reasons. So, you know, it wasn't that they're slow. It was, man, we lose track position on pit stops, and we're doing some things that kind of mess us up, but. He said, if you look, we, he said, I feel like we are the fastest car at Gibbs, that, that we have the most speed. And now that was, granted, that was a few weeks ago before they had a little rust slide. But his confidence was really high and felt great about where they were. Loves working with his crew chief, uh, Adam Stevens, like spoke really highly about the, about the whole thing. And, you know, I'm lucky because I think most of them trust me and they'll tell me things like when they don't feel good about it, they'll tell me. And he was just, man... I feel great about where we are. We just got to fix these these few issues. So this was meant maybe a few weeks ago, right before they switched he and Bubba's uh, It was definitely up. before that. Definitely it before was definitely that. before okay. that. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, he's definitely the Gibbs driver we don't talk about. And you think about, especially this season, we've talked so much about Kyle Busch and his contract. We talk about Martin Truex Jr. and his retirement or non-retirement now plans. We talk about Denny Hamlin on the rough season he's had and you know, being the owner of 2311 Racing at the same time. And then there's Christopher Bell, who somehow gets overlooked a lot. But another thing you said I thought was interesting in the race broadcast was you think Joe Gibbs should go sign this guy to a long-term deal immediately because we saw, again, on Sunday at New Hampshire, why he's so good. Why is he so good? Like, why is he sort of flying under the radar despite being such a good driver? Well, I think he's flying under the radar because who he's racing with. I mean, he's, yeah. he's got, you know, he's got two champions. he got Denny Hamlin. Denny is in, you know, a, a, you know everybody... You know, haven't knows how many wins he's had and all that. So, you know, this was his second win. 
you know, he hasn't had a ton of wins. So he, even though he's mega talented, he's young. He's very young in his cup career. His better days are way ahead of him. And he's in a camp where he's got highly successful drivers and their better days are behind them. So if you're Joe Gibbs Racing, the cornerstone of your program, although you may not admit it, the cornerstone <laughs> of your program right now is Christopher Bell because he's the guy that two years from now, three years from now, he's the guy that's going to be bringing the sponsors. He's the guy that people are going to want to be associated with. He's the guy that you're going to be recruiting the best crew members for, right? So Truex and Hamlin, and those, I mean, you know, they got – I'm not trying to run them out of the sport, but yeah. it happens to all of us, yeah, I mean, and they've admitted it. Yeah, I mean, they're both over 40. So, yeah. yeah. So that guy, he is at the beginning, at the very, very, very beginning of his most productive years ahead, and he's mega talented. The guy can drive anything. He hasn't been able to prove as good as he is because the best Christopher Bell right now at his age is right bumping up against – the best of a Kyle Busch, a, a Martin Truex, a Denny Hamlin is bumping up against it. But there's going to be a day that it's over it, and it's not that far away. He comes from the same background as Kyle Larson. And I also should just say real quick that I think when we think of Christopher Bell, we think of a guy who's been around a while. And really, this is only his third true season in the Cup Series. And really, when we think about it, only his second full season. Because his first was with a team that's now defunct. And, you know, last year he comes on the scene at Gibbs and it's a different deal with his teammates and everything like that. But you know, he comes up through the dirt ranks, Jeff, similar path to Larson through USAC. Does he have that same kind of skill set that Kyle Larson has, that car control that we hear about that dirt guys seem to have? And I, I'm just not that – I don't know. I'm, I, I go against the grain on that one a little bit. I don't, I don't believe that the pathway through to success in the Cup Series from a dirt track. I just – I've seen so many different ways win. I mean, look at the majority of our champions. I mean, it, there's nothing that suggests you have to have driven a dirt car to. Now there are we do point to the guys and say, well, that guy drove dirt, so you got to do that. But there's a lot of exceptionally talented champions, etc., that didn't drive dirt. So I'm not saying it's a detriment, but I'm not a, I'm not just sold that you have to go drive dirt to be a great Cup driver. Now I do like the versatility. In today's world, we only have dirt, one dirt race. That's not what I'm talking about. I like the versatility and being able to do a lot of different things fast, right? I think that's good. And I think dirt, because you get limited practice, different racetracks, ever-changing conditions, I think that is more valuable than just driving a dirt car. You learn, I got to adapt quick. I don't have much practice. I got to go now. Hot laps are now. I got to, like, all that happens so much quicker and Lord, they don't practice and practice and practice like you do right. with asphalt late models, etc. So I think that is a great training ground. I think that perhaps is more important. And I think the shorter races teach you, I got to go now, I got to go now, I got to go now. And you would think that would be a detriment. And it is to some people. There's an adjustment period you got to make. We've seen it with Tyler Reddick. He had to make that adjustment. We've seen it with Kyle Larson. We saw it with him. We haven't seen that as much with Christopher Bell. But... I don't know that it's all dirt. I think it's more just the dirt schedule and the way things work. 
rather than just racing on dirt. I think that probably is as much as anything. Well, he definitely has shown an adaptability of versatility. I mean, he's got the win at Daytona Road Course last year, but he also finished second at Road America last year. Now he's got the win at New Hampshire. Seems like he's strong everywhere he goes. But there is, I think, a little bit of an adjustment period that he's talked about. And there's an example from the race that I think kind of plays into this. Like you said, like Larson and Reddick, I think we've seen, you know, they've talked about trying to adjust to these three-hour long races. And Bell kind of talked about a little bit about it after his New Hampshire win, where he's not used to guys telling him things on the radio because he's just running those 30-lap features. So there was this moment during the race at New Hampshire, his crew chief, Adam Stevens, updates him on his progress versus Chase Elliott, who's currently leading the race. Let's listen to some audio on that 20 car. Inch, inch by inch, he's not going anywhere. His exits are giving up. Adam, I got it. And Stevens later said he was happy to hear that. He took no offense. He laughed it off. Uh, Bob Hawkers, Fox Sports. When Christopher said, I got it, you know, not to coach him anymore, you said did that surprised you? And did that make you feel like, oh, he's, he's seeing something and he's that, that confidence we're going to win this thing? Um, I think he understood that he was driving away and he just wanted his radio a li- little bit quieter. Um, so, no, I'm, I, was, I was happy to hear it. I chuckled. I looked at... Uh, Morgan and just kind of laughed and, and had a conversation with my uh, engineers on the on the radio. But uh, yeah, and clearly he did have it. So uh, uh, kudos to him. And Seabell said, Danny Gelsman, Associated Press, hey, Christopher, Adam was just in here and he said at one point he he tried to coach you a little bit and you said that you had it under control over the radio. You tried to comment out what happened there. So one thing that I really dislike is whenever people start giving me lap countdowns. So um, that's one thing. Well, I've really struggled whenever I made the transition to NASCAR because the races are so long. And, uh, yeah, so, like, my even my spotter, I think they just get caught up a little bit in the moment and just like, hey, that's 20 to go, 18 to go, 15 to go. I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't need a countdown here. So, you know, and then Adam uh, kind of, I don't exactly remember what he said, but something along the lines of, you know, we got 50 laps to go, don't burn yourself up. And I'm like, man, there's still so much race left. I, you know, I, I don't need – a reminder of how much longer we got to go. So, you know, at, at that point in time, I had a good idea of where we were at in the race and how much longer we had to go on tires. So, uh, yeah, I just want to let him know that I, I felt confident about what we had and, uh, and it worked out. Curious on your take on all that as a former driver, is that just driver team preference to as driver and crew chief sort of fool each other out, like when to have their buttons pushed and when to just stay off the radio? I took it more of, of confidence, Christopher, like I'm confident I got this and, I see that nine car is not as good as he was earlier, and I'm in control. I got, I got, I got this, and I, I, I didn't see it in any way, any form of fashion, a slam to to Adam Stevens or anybody else. I just saw it as, you know, hey, I, I, I know what I need to do, and quit talking, <laughs> just <laughs> let me go do it. Right? Yeah. It, it is interesting because, you know, spotters and crew chiefs. They have to deal with a lot of different personalities because in one race, a driver can change personalities multiple times. And knowing when and how and what to say is really important. And that can change. One minute you're like, yeah, that's great information. They give you the same thing and it's a different situation. You're like, shut the hell up. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's hard for them. Right. Um, and as spotters have gained more notoriety, I think that they, and this isn't a bad thing, but I also think spotters feel like that they have a lot of control over that car and what that driver is doing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but there's times that a driver needs to say, hey, man, I got just 
just shut the hell up. Enough. Or, hey, man, you're not talking enough. And that is ever-changing. It's never – there's not a blueprint because the driver's personality and his emotions are changing throughout the race. Did you ever have a situation when you were a driver where you would get distracted by the voices? Or do you just have to be a multitasker and just be able to turn all that off? I No, I, not by that, but I did – Kim, my wife, will tell you that when I was talking on the radio, you could see it on lap time. Really? Huh. Yeah, she would encourage me because she was always on the pit box and always looking at lap time. She would encourage me, you need to talk a lot less <laughs> and give much quicker information because when you're talking, you go slower. Huh. And so, uh, and I see that. I see that with some drivers. Uh, you know, after she told me that about myself, I started paying attention, especially in my job now. And there's times you hear a driver just riffing, rah, 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 and you look at the lap times, and he's, all right, buddy, that's great, but we just lost three-tenths. Like, <laughs> everything you want fixed, some of that's going to go away by just focusing on the race car, you know. So there's a little bit of that. I think more of that than, uh, than what you're hearing, unless it aggravates you. Or makes you mad, and then you just you just need to get it off your chest. Interesting, and, and it's interesting too. You're talking about that driver spotter relationship because I I feel like there was another instance during New Hampshire weekend where you said that it might have been the Xfinity race or the broadcast where you singled somebody out and said that's an instance where spotter driver are going to go have a discussion on making sure they understand like what information and what they get. Oh, I it guess was, that it was AJ Allmendinger. He thought he was it. clear and was and he was furious. And the spotters like I never called. You know, is it, it he thought. They thought like they just weren't communicating properly. Yeah, they needed to they need to go hash that out. And th so those types of discussions happen every oh, yeah. Monday or Tuesday. Oh yeah. well, yeah, you hope. Uh, yeah. it, I mean, it's different <laughs> for everybody. You know, some some spotter, some driver. I mean, it's a different world now than it was when I was driving. There's a lot more meetings and a lot more team meetings. And I mean, my spotters just really didn't come to team meetings uh, like they do now prep sessions and all that. I mean, it's a different world than it was when I drove. Yeah. Communication, though, obviously always has been key. And maybe the driver crew chief communication wasn't as essential in this case with Adam Stevens needing to be in New Hampshire. Uh, there was a chance that both he and other pit crew members might have missed this race if NASCAR had penalized the team for the wheel that came off the number 20 Toyota in the pits at Atlanta. NASCAR didn't and penalized the team. So it was the second straight week that Christopher Bell and Bubba Wallace both had these new pit crews where they had exchanged some uh, personnel. Both of those teams, Christopher Bell finishes first, Bubba Wallace finishes third at New Hampshire. So both of those teams finished first and third at New Hampshire, did very well. And Stevens said that did make an impact on the race, NASCAR's decision not to penalize the team. Um, yeah, it would have been a bigger factor with the over-the-wall guys than it would be without my physical presence here, um, with all the tools and communication, uh, ways to communicate that we have. Uh, you know, me sitting in Huntersville um, wouldn't have been the end of the world. Um, and certainly my two engineers are very, very capable, and they could probably answer the questions that I would need to answer without my input. So um, that wouldn't slow us down, I don't think. But, you know, if, if you're going back to the drawing board with, with the uh, pit crew roster, um, you know, we just had one week to gel um, in Atlanta, and, and this is our second week for them to gel. So um, I don't think you can, in a couple practices, work all those kinks out. And obviously we feel like we're putting our best foot forward there. So um, to bring a couple new guys in would have been tough. I, I think that would have been the story. Jeff, you talked about this after uh, Nashville when we did the podcast, the consistency of the pit crews. Uh, now it's going to be interesting, too, coming out of New Hampshire because Austin Sendrick's team could be facing a potential penalty. They had something similar with the wheel getting off That's in the penalty. pit lane. You think it's That'll a penalty a for penalty. sure? Yeah, that tire it went, went farther? 
Oh, yeah, that tire went all the way down pit road. Not all the way. It went a long way down pit road at a high rate of speed. The end result matters. You know, I think that's the best way to kind of sum up driver etiquette rules and this tire rule is that the end result matters. And in, in Bell's case, the tire harmlessly rolled away. In th- this case, the tire went down pit road. Had people been, you know, on pit road or, yeah, two different situations, I'd be shocked if that wasn't a penalty. So you think NASCAR did make the right call in electing Un- not to penalize well, Bell's team then? because they put out in writing – Yes. A new rule. Here's yes. the new rule. Here's how we're going to look at it. They shouldn't have randomly just said, oh, wait a minute, that's not a penalty. They put it out. We're going to, you know, let everybody know. Steve did a great job explaining that uh, the, the, you know, a couple weeks ago. And then, so under that scenario, yeah, I think they got it right. How much of an impact do you think that had? If Christopher Bell's got new pit crew members again at this race for, what, the second time in three weeks... Would this have been a much more difficult race to win and not having Adam Stevens there, all of that compounding like that essentially was a critical element. I'm not saying it won Christopher Bell the race, but it probably did help, right? <laughs> so that's why I love doing this podcast with you because you make me think about things I, I wouldn't have thought about. And, and um, yeah, those guys are over pit wall for a reason. That's the best they've got. Now, they moved some people around, right. but that's the best they've got. If they had better, I'm sorry, it's professional sports. They'd put them in. I hate that for the guy that was going to be doing it. If they had better, they'd put them in. So as you as you pose that to me, I, my brain started immediately <laughs> thinking about the future. I could see the wheels turning there, by the way. That's, that's, that's good. smoke coming out. <laughs> Maybe this race builds them the confidence that they need to progress forward. I mean, sometimes – when you've had a lot of bad stuff happen, it's hard to get it out of your head. And you start thinking and waiting for bad stuff to happen. I've seen it. I've done it as a driver. Maybe this bit of confidence shows them we can do this. Right, right. And gives them that boost that they needed and lets everybody, when they have a bad day, takes a little pressure off of them as they approach the playoffs, assuming they make the playoffs, as crazy as it is, <laughs> um, they can be more productive. So this could could have been not just the fact that had they not been there, they might not have won. It could be that this is a game changer for that pit crew. And for that matter, Bubba Wallace's. Right, right, right. I mean, maybe this is the affirmation they were all looking for, and they now collectively like, hell yeah, we can do this. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about coming out of Nashville where Bubba had another abysmal day on, in the pits that day. And they, they made this change for Atlanta. And a lot of people said, looked at this and just said, oh, they're giving Christopher Bell the bad pit crew guys. Well, his pit crew did well enough at New Hampshire. I mean, and it goes back to that point that you made that it's not necessarily about putting all the fastest guys together. It's about putting all the guys together who can do the pit stop correctly <laughs> and in a swift enough manner that gets the guy out without having a wheel come off. Joey Gibbs Racing did not take this group of, for two drivers, right? Everybody, Bubba Wallace is a public figure. He has a ton of attention on him, a ton of pressure on him because of that attention. They need to give him what he needs to be successful. Christopher Bell is everything we just said he is. He is the future of Joe Gibbs racing. He is part of the future. They need to give him what he needs, too. It's not like they had two guys and they were like, well, this one is 48th in points and this one is championship contender, so we're going to take and put... They didn't do that. They just tried to match the people up. They tried to take the best people they already had and put them in different situations where they thought they could be successful. It didn't work right off the bat, but 
this past weekend, it, it worked well enough for sure. Yeah, and Adam Stevens said that as well. Obviously, Atlanta, they had the loose wheel coming out of the pit, so they weren't perfect there, but he said they did a lot of work during the week, oh and my that God. showed. Can you yeah. imagine how they – I mean, <laughs> we, we just got off of that car, and we had this, now we come to this car. I mean, yeah. I, hell, hell, I called them out on the on the broadcast. I'm like, that's right. the same guys that – you know what I mean? But then the rebound, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's something in life about getting knocked on your ass – and getting back up. There's something that that does to you. There's something that when you do that, it hardens you. Now, eventually, you got to find a way to get back on your feet. You can't continually get knocked down because if, hard if you're hardened after that, then you're just arrogant. But there's something about that where you almost lose your career. You almost those big moments and you overcome them. It's empowering. I mean, that's what shapes our character, right? It's the toughest times. It's how you get through the most challenging times. It's not, I mean, the good times are nice, but ultimately they're just, they're good. Have you read Coddling of the American Mind? I have not. <laughs> Should I? <laughs> are you are you throwing out a book suggestion book club. for me? Okay. Book club with Nate and Jeff. Okay. I have not <laughs> read that book, but I'll probably go Google uh, it when we're done. I yet. haven't read it either, but, but it's a lot of, well, I shouldn't say what it is because I haven't read it, but, but <laughs> I do believe I do believe that you're right. I think that we as human beings learn from hard times if right. we allow ourselves to. And as athletes, you aren't allowed to quit. Like, you aren't allowed. Like, you have to get back up. And that's, what, that's what's intriguing to me about kids playing sports. Like, it's okay for your kid to get beat by 20 in a basketball game in the YMCA when they're five. Like, that's okay. Like, they're going to learn from it. And it goes for adults, too. Like, I, the, one of the most empowered times in my life was when I left uh, Roush, couldn't find a sponsor, running like crap. I leave. Carl Edwards kicks my ass. Two years later, I'm kicking his ass. Right. That was one of the most empowered moments I ever had in my life was that three or four year span because now I had perspective that I didn't have before. And yeah, that was a crappy three or four years. It sucked, but it shaped, helped shape who I am. Well, it may not be a good thing, but it helped shape <laughs> who I am. <laughs> no, it, I mean, I think it was a good thing. It did shape you. And after you got that win at Dover in 2006, I'm sure that that made for a ton of relief for everything you went through in 2004. And that's how the, that is what's out there for that pick group. Yeah, no question. We mentioned Christopher Bell becomes the 14th winner in the Cup Series this season. There's two slots left right now on points in the playoffs. Um, I want to get to that, but first I want to touch briefly Chase Elliott. Even though there's all this sort of speculation on who's going to make the playoffs, who's not, you know, how many winners we're going to have, there's one thing I think we can say definitively right now is that Chase Elliott has been the hottest driver in the Cup Series. He's leading the points. He's leading the playoff points. The way things are playing out, I think he is probably the odds-on favorite to get the 15 points as the regular season champion as long as he continues the streak. He's got four straight finishes of first or second, so an average finish of one and a half <laughs> since Nashville with two victories and two second-place finishes. But in the post-race interview with Parker Kligerman, he does not sound like a championship favorite, Jeff. This was rookie season Chase Elliott beating himself up about failing to execute. What more do you need to beat Christopher Bell in that last run? Uh, just do a better job again. Just, uh, same conversation as Road America, unfortunately. So just, uh, you know, I feel like just a, a poor, a poor uh, run of execution on my end. You know, throughout that last round, I mean, I feel like 
it took me a while to get past Joey and, and uh, the 45 and had to run a little harder than, than I wanted to and then got in front of those guys and just made a couple mistakes and couldn't, you know, couldn't get any, uh, get much breathing room. So uh, Christopher did a good job. Congrats to those guys. I know they, they've, they stay close to winning, so um, that's cool. But obviously for us, you know, we were in a position where, um, you know, guys at this level really should close out a race if you got the lead like that. So uh, just poor, you know, poor effort on my part. You say poor execution, but this is your fourth straight top two finish in the NASCAR Cup Series. I'd have to say some things are going right. You're putting yourself in position, right? Yeah, but when you're in position like we've been in, you need to finish them off, you know. So uh, the top twos don't tell the whole story. Sometimes you got to step back and look at the reality of it. And the reality is, you know, I've given away a couple races uh, just by making too many mistakes. And, you know, you don't, uh, don't want to have that. So try to clean it up for these uh, final events. How do you clean it up? Go to work. I don't know. Everything. Was he too hard on himself <laughs> a little bit after that race? You know, it's who he is. I, I, yeah. I've praised him for it, and I've also been like, dude, like, <laughs> I've, you know what I mean? I mean, I, what more could he have done to hold off well, Christopher it, Bell? Well, so look, I love the fact I love the fact that he's willing to sit there after running second and do, damn, man, that's horrible. Like, yeah. I, I, <laughs> like I got to find a way to do better. I appreciate that fact because I know that he's going to go and he means it. He's not, that's not lip service from Chase Elliott. That's who he is. That's what his dad taught him to be. That's what his mom taught him to be when he was young. And that's who he is now. And I love that personality. I love the, it's on me. Like, I need to do better because I don't love it if it's not true. If he doesn't really believe it and he's just trying to take pressure off of somebody, I don't love that. But, man, like, it, he, I, I, I hate it for him because it's not as fun to live that way. But I have a ton of respect for it. And I don't know, man. I think that's part of what makes him a great race car driver. Yeah. And we, you, you overuse the word great, but, I mean, he's... He's a great race car driver. Some of you probably wants to say, hey, man, try to enjoy wins or even the, like the second place finish a little bit more. But at the same time, he's just going to come back and say, like, I want a championship. I know what it takes. And I can't revel in something like this. He can't. He's no, and, and, and why why try to change? Uh, listen, why try to change it? You know what I mean? If yeah. you're Chase Elliott, you're happy with who you are. You're comfortable with who you are. Be yourself. Another driver who was really kicking himself, and in this case, unfortunately, it was merited, uh, Martin Truex Jr. wins the first two stages, finishes fourth, two-tire call that ended up pretty much dooming the number 19 Toyota, takes them out of a playoff clinching victory. So now Truex is on the cut line, and both he and Ryan Blaney are in the top 16, but neither have wins. And I know you talked to Ryan Blaney, Jeff, during the rain delay at New Hampshire, and he said the same thing. I've got to win, just like Martin Truex Jr. told Parker. Obviously, should have done four, but uh, it's hindsight. You know, uh, it's just loud for us. You know, it's, it's every year we lead a ton of laps. We run really well here, and then uh, we find a way to give it away. So I'm frustrated for Interstate, Toyota, all our partners, uh, Bass Pro, Auto Owners, everybody that supports us. But... Overall, I mean, it was a hell of a run. Just <laughs> this place, man, it's killing me. Do you feel that way now? You need a win to make the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, most likely. It, you know, it's not like we haven't been trying to win, though. So, I mean, everybody's like, yeah, you're going to have to win. We're like, well, duh. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's pretty pretty obvious. We've, have, we've had cars to win. Listen, Parker, we've had some really strong cars, and uh, everybody at JGR is working really hard. Obviously, look at today, and um, 
you know, our short track stuff's been off, and we came here today and dominated, and, you know, the 20 winning. So congratulations to him. Obviously, they were smarter than us at the end, and Christopher's a great kid, a great teammate, great driver. I'm happy for him. I'm just really disappointed for us. Any way for these guys to approach it the last six weeks of the regular season without just saying, hey, we got to be on full kill, no more points racing? I think that they're smart to assume that they got to make, that they need to win. And the reason why is they're only separate, they're not separated by that many points. So even if you get one more winner, just one more, and it's not one of them, now you got a point battle between those two. That's a great point. And so now it's a race between those two. And putting yourself in position when races gets you the most points. Yeah. So I think that if I'm if I'm Ryan Blaney or I'm Martin Truex, I'm just turning the wick up. And if that – they're always trying to win, right? You just can't, oh, we got to win. Okay, we'll go do it. But what you can do is recognize the intensity level and also what is the appropriate response, meaning if you're down by 10 with 10 minutes to go, you approach that last 10 minutes of a basketball game different than if you're down by 10 with a minute to go. You don't start fouling, intentionally fouling with 10 to go. But you do with one to go, one minute to go. So it's important for Martin and Ryan both not to try to do more than they need to do at this point. They need to, they need to consider that they are racing the, each other for that last playoff spot. And that in itself will bring that intensity level up. And the way you win races is you put yourself in position. If Martin Truex Jr. keeps running the way he ran on Sunday, there's a good chance he'll win a race over the next seven weeks. That, that's how you win races. That's a great point. I haven't thought about that, that if, if somebody else wins and Harvick's right there, obviously, is lurking out there, Harvick being the most obvious, Blaney is only 37 points in front of Martin Truex Jr. And then uh, Truex is well clear of Harvick in terms of points. So if, 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 if Harvick catch, catches Truex in points, <laughs> then they've had a meltdown. Yeah, they've got much bigger problems. Or Harvick's got an extraordinary, right? So it's a, it, it's a two-driver two, two battle in my eyes. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't even thought about it that way. So, yeah, if it comes down to one slot between the two of them, it, points don't matter anymore because if Truex wins, it doesn't matter how many points Blaney has on him. He gets knocked out if, if Harvick's the other winner. That's a good way of looking at it. So as usual, a lot going on for Gibbs besides Christopher Bell winning the race and Truex letting it slip away. Kyle Busch also spun twice, Jeff, and this came a couple of days after he confirmed he is talking to other teams about his future, still being in a contract year, not having an extension yet. Joe Gibbs said after the race, Pat to NASCAR.com. Coach, Kyle sort of alluded to the fact that he's talking to other teams. Are you surprised that things have gotten to this point? Yeah, I, I am in a way. It's been hard. We've been working really hard to try and get things done. And it is hard, though. You've got to put a lot in place to make things work out. And we're working as hard as we can. We're going after it in a number of, number of different directions. And so, yeah, I'm surprised at this point that we haven't been able to get that finished Kyle did say he expects to be back at the 18, but the longer this goes, I think the more <laughs> we're going to speculate on it, especially with other silly season news last week with Tyler Reddick signing for 2024. And now we've got the 42 open with Ty Dillon leaving. The 10 is still open, but Almarola says now he might be coming back. What do you make of everything going on? And I'm most curious about Kyle Busch and your thoughts there. Do you, am I wrong in reading like the longer this goes, the more likely it could seem that the unfathomable could happen and he could leave that team? Yeah, a, a wise man, I won't, I'll call him by his initials, Richard Childress once told me <laughs> that the longer it takes for something to happen, the least likely it will. 
And there's a reason that you have a two-time champion that has won more races at Joe Gibbs Racing than anybody, won more races at Toyota than anybody, has a truck team that's won more races for Toyota than anybody. There's a reason he's not signed. They both are saying they want to be together, and they can't get it done. I'm not saying they're not going to get it done. It's July. Yeah, it's getting late. <laughs> and you are a you are Kyle Bush. We're not talking, and no disrespect, we're not talking a rookie, a third-year driver, a seventh-year driver that's never won a race. We're talking about Kyle Bush that is not signed at the place where he's had the majority of his success by the car owner and the manufacturer that are saying, we want him. And a driver saying, I want to be here. There's a problem. And, you know, I'm stating the obvious. I'm not breaking news here. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know what's going to happen. And I do think this. There's no way that it is not bugging Kyle Busch. There, it's impossible. You are Kyle Busch, and you can't get this done. You can't get it done where you want to be. I will tell you that I've been in that situation where we could not get sponsorship. And I didn't have near the success Kyle Busch did. And I felt like there was a spotlight on me as bright as it could possibly be. What is wrong with Jeff? What is wrong with that team? Why didn't anybody want to be there? It's a horrible feeling. And this is a multi-time champion. A guy that many people say could be one of the greatest drivers ever in our sport and they can't get it done. You can't tell me that's not bugging him. And you can see it on Joe Gibbs' face. It's stressful as hell for him. I mean, he's running a business, too. I mean, and he has fought hard for Kyle Busch. He's been committed to Kyle Busch. He is, they've been like this. Now, there's been times they've been like this, but Joe has always stood by him. He wants him there. And I give Joe a ton of credit for standing by his guy. And I believe you can see it on his face, too, that he's worried about it. And it's a, it's a bad situation for Joe Gibbs Racing and Kyle Busch that they can't get this done. I hope they get it done. I really do. I, I, I mean, it's, Kyle Busch, say what you know, there's a lot of people, he doesn't, you know, you don't sit on the fence with Kyle Busch. You either really like him or you really don't as a fan. But that guy can drive a damn race car. And there's less good days ahead of him than there were behind him. It's just life as far as driving a race car. But there's a lot of productivity left in that man. Yeah, I mean, he's still a lot. He's 37 years yes. old, and we're talking most drivers hit their prime around this time. He's a two-time champion. He's a surefire NASCAR Hall of Famer. He's going to drive for somebody next year. Like, that's beyond the shadow of a doubt. And like I said, he did say that until he's told otherwise, he's expecting that the 18 will be his ride. But that spotlight you mentioned, Jeff, is interesting because I can remember going back to your final season at Roush in 2004, I can remember that there were a couple of engine failures for you in the first couple of months. And it was like, ah, oh, there's the R&D team. You know, like, even if it wasn't necessarily true. Yeah, and it wasn't. Like, we didn't have any sponsorship, and they did. there was no different. Like, we were running their team exactly right. the same way, but... But there was a shadow over us, right. and we knew it. And what is the future of this team? And so how do you convince team members we're good? Right. How do you convince, like, who's going to be driving this car next year? Like, it, you know, it's, you know, Ben Bayshore, crew chief, he's got a really, already had a tough job. Being Kyle Busch's crew chief ain't easy. It's not for wimps. 
he already had a tough job, and it's, it just got a lot tougher, a lot tougher. Yeah, because that spotlight uh, that you're talking about gets worse after tough weekends. And you know, Kyle Busch didn't have a terrible weekend at New Hampshire, but he spun twice on a day when a teammate wins the race, another one leads the most laps. Does that that has an impact? Right? And his Kyle Busch at some point said, "Make a note: we are the slowest Joe Gibbs racing <laughs> car here." Right, right. Slowest Toyota. So frustration is high and if you look this listen i i one thing i've admired about the bush brothers throughout their entire career no matter what swirls around them when they put that helmet on it's game on both of them but in this case we've seen three weeks in a row of essentially three weeks in a row of kyle bush un kyle bush like mistakes and it's hard not to try to connect the dots and say the pressure is is mounting and you know what? I don't blame him. I, I can relate. Like I said, I've been there. And, but not never. I was never as big of a deal as Kyle Busch. I've been in those shoes, and they aren't fun to stand in. I can relate, and I feel bad. I feel bad for all of them. I hope they get it done. Definitely a tough situation. Uh, I want to touch on one more thing at New Hampshire. Interesting flare-up between Brad Keselowski and Austin Dillon, who collide under caution. Kez says... Uh, hot in the cars, and... Uh Probably all our tempers get the best of us. I'll talk to him privately. I don't need to be a jerk over the media. Austin says, It's just hard racing, I guess. I'm, uh, we've uh, gone at it a couple times the last two years. Uh, one time I hit really hard. So um, just don't like the way certain people race me and uh, probably not the right way to do it under a caution. Um, but thanks uh, for giving us an interview for the Bass Pro Shop Chevy. We weren't very good today. And... Uh, you know, we'll uh, go to fight on uh, the next race, and we got to get this three car in uh, the playoffs. Does this warrant a conversation with Brad? No, I don't talk to him. So, how do you think this gets resolved? I can show you why this happened. Yes. In this point sheet, <laughs> Austin <laughs> Dillon is 20th, <laughs> and Brad Keselowski is 29th. So, it's not about racing styles, it's about the fact that these guys are feeling the heat, the pressure. And it sucks. Brad Keselowski went to, to help. You know, became an owner, fixed that program. Hasn't gone, hasn't been easy. At the same time, Justin Marks is over there doing what he's doing with those two teams, making magic. Brad's like, huh? What? You know, you know, you know, it's harder than he thought it was going to be, right? So he's frustrated. Austin Dillon, they were teetering on that point thing. They were teetering. Now he, I mean, there's no, there's, he's got to win. There's period in the story. So. The frustration is is high. That that's that's what that's all about. And they had they had some history in the past, clearly by Austin. But but if if this was uh if this was March, April, May, nah, that ain't happening. <laughs> Probably wouldn't have seen that. So the heat of summer and the playoff pressure. So Jeff Gordon and I, when we wrecked at Texas and all that, yeah, we were racing for nineteenth. If we're racing for fifth, that would not have happened. <laughs> <laughs> I can point. assure you. Good point. Um, yeah, you guys were both out of the championship fund at that point, late November 2010. So anyway, we'll wrap up talking Pocono real quickly. Blaney and Truex do have wins at this track, and Harvick also has won here recently, 2020. But this figures, I would think, Jeff, to be another completely unpredictable race with this car. I mean, what can we compare Pocono to with the next gen? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> so. I, I mean, seriously. Like, nothing. Like, I went to Loudon thinking, oh, this Penske's going to be fast. Right, right. And Surprisingly you know, off, off their game. But then, like, you, so I, heavy braking zones, right? That's where they seem like they're fast. But all those other places don't have that big bump into three. Right? So what is that? Like, it's so 
Joe Gibbs Racing on road courses. What? Like they're horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Like what is that? Like it. It's. I don't know. I mean, I have. I have. I have zero, zero understanding of who's going to be fast this weekend. Uh, Ross Chastain will be. Because <laughs> he is every week. Chase Elliott will yeah. be. I mean, those those <laughs> yeah. guys will be fast. Yeah. Uh, other than that, you could see Kyle Larson run fifth, or you could see him run twelfth. You could see uh, Blaney lead win by four seconds, or you could see him run fourteenth. Like, who knows? I mean, there were times, there were times in the race on Sunday that Blaney was running sixteenth, seventeenth. Running there before you spun, like who saw that coming? Okay. And so you just—it's you, you, no telling. It's yeah. no telling. Which is why it's going to be so damn fun to go. Like you—you yeah. you just you don't know. And then even practice. I went through and I said, "I got fast practice. I got fast." And I started filling out my fantasy stuff. And I'm like, "I had a good fantasy day, but I didn't go off practice." I started doing that, and I went, "Nah, to heck with that." And I went, "Like you can't even look at practice. It's weird." That is weird. Well, like you said, uh, we're just going to have to watch to see what happens, and you've got the call. Again, NASCAR and NBC will have the coverage Sunday at Pocono Raceway. Be sure to tune in. Uh, Jeff, thanks for joining us as always. Thanks, man. Always fun. We appreciate Jeff Burton for joining us on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. And just remember, the mayor did pick Christopher Bell ahead of New Hampshire to win that race. So despite everything he just said about Pocono being unpredictable, pay close attention to whoever the mayor is suggesting you pick this weekend at Pocono. Jeff Burton always has good fantasy advice, fantasy predictions. So stay tuned for that as well. We taped this in the studio before the Monday episode of NASCAR America Motormouths, which airs Mondays and Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern on Peacock. So you also can find this episode of the NASCAR and NBC podcast on the NBC Motorsports YouTube channel, the on-camera edition. Go to the NBC Motorsports YouTube channel, Subscribe, lots of great content that is posting there daily. Thanks as well to NASCAR NBC producers Emily Conboy and Aaron Feldstein for lining up Jeff Burton and coordinating the recording of the podcast. NASCAR is at Pocono Raceway this weekend. All the race coverage is on the USA Network. You can catch the Cup Race broadcast starting with Countdown to Green at 2 p.m. Eastern Sunday. And if you have any NASCAR and NBC podcast feedback, you can send me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.